Thank you. How's everybody doing? Who had a dream last night? I've been told when I go to places, people dream. Last time I spent the night at somebody's house, which I did a dream lab up in Flint, like everybody in the house had dreams. All the kids had dreams. The mom and dad had dreams. So they called me down to the sitting room before I left, and everybody told me all their dreams. So you're all going to dream tonight. It happens all the time. I don't know why it happens. It's not me. But I don't know if it's an anointing, an impartation, or if you just become more open to it because the Holy Spirit is speaking on dreams. So look for it to happen. (laughs) Write them down. Every single dream. You don't have to interpret every dream. I had people calling me like, dude, there's no way I can interpret all my dreams. It's like a full-time job. I get like six a night. I'm like, I know, right? Me too. So you don't have to interpret them all. But it's part of documenting your history with God. And there's some really cool stuff. We have a short amount of time today, so I'm going to go quick. It's going to be like drinking from a fire hose. I want to be able just to kind of train on just a few things, and then I want to do stuff. Because we all learn better when we do stuff. So if we do the stuff, then it's like in there. But I want to set the tone because there are some things that I learned in my journey that took about 17 years. And we don't have 17 years today for you to be here to learn what took me 17 years to learn. So I'm just going to kind of share with you some things in my journey. Now, I don't know of anybody that was more skeptical about dreams. Still haven't met anybody more skeptical about dreams than me. So if I say something that you're like, you're giving me that kind of a look where you're like, "Mm -hmm." I don't know, that's fine. Hey, um, test it, study it, look it up in the word, go deep find out. But what I would suggest is be open to the possibility and put aside doubt. There's a lot of, there is a war for your dreams. I don't think people have any idea of the battle over your dream life. There's a war in Christianity and the way the prophetic is taught even for your dreams, because literally one-third of your life, you do nothing but hear from God. That's it. And your body recovers, and you don't really have anything to do with that. You just kind of lay there. But you can partner with the hearing from God part, and you can take it seriously, or you can blow it off. And you can literally waste one-third of your entire life not hearing from God, because somebody told you that if a dream makes you uncomfortable, it's from the devil. I'm just, I'm just going to be real. I don't have a lot of time. I'm not a fluffy kind of guy. I'm just kind of a tell-it-like-it-is kind of guy. And so if that offends you, get over it. I'll apologize later. (laughs) But um, you can go faster when you talk. And so I'll I'll be very open about some of my struggles with dreams. Um, I first started dreaming. I wrote one dream down when I was 13 years old, which was interesting because it was about a girl... (laughs) And then I died in the dream, too. I don't know if that was a prophecy on my relational life or not. But anyway, uh, haven't unpacked that one quite yet. But uh, it's like the one dream I have in my journal that I wish in my diaries as a kid uh, that I wish I had more. By the way, if you have kids or if you ever plan on having kids or you know anybody that's ever had kids or you yourself were ever a kid, write your dreams down. That'll be a reoccurring theme. 
But um, so there was a situation. Well, let, let me first just invite the Holy Spirit. I know he's already here, but I just like to honor the fact that he is. So Holy Spirit, we just welcome you and we say thank you for being here. We ask for the spirit of revelation to be here for more prophecy, more dreams, more visions. Lord, more understanding of your seer, figurative love language to your children. <clears throat> more discernment and wisdom. Lord, we ask for more. You said if anyone lacks wisdom that we should ask. And so we're asking. We ask for more wisdom, Lord God. We ask for more of an understanding. Not just only teach us your ways, but teach us your language. That we can speak to you in your language. That we can understand your language. When Jesus spoke in parables, he said, The secrets of the kingdom of heaven are given to you, but not to them. And it was those that understood the figurative language of God. And God, that it would be said of us that we are among those who can stand in the counsel of the Lord to both see and hear his word. Bless this time today in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> we have a special guest that has just arrived. <laughs> You want to come up and say hi? hi. <laughs> this is Neil Tully, former general in the U.S. Army and Green Beret. Please sit down. Well, it's an honor to be here. Um, I had to drive up here for uh, to have a reconstruction of my father's basement. It flooded last two years ago and they're just getting around now to being able to fix it. And so this is kind of on the way. I'm going to Buffalo, so um, snow country. But it's an absolute honor to be here. Um, this is probably one of the best dream interpreter and spiritual intelligence guys on the planet right now. And so you're in for a treat tonight. And I look forward to talking to you and meeting some of you afterwards. So there you go. Thanks for being here. He drove up from Tampa, Florida. So um, so anyway, I had a question about a girl, um, <clears throat> and I had started having some dreams about this person. This was like 15 years, 17 years ago, and so I, I went to some of her concerts. She was like a worship leader, and, and uh, then I was supposed to go to this big event that she was going to be at, but last time that I had kind of connected with her, it was just weird, you know, and if you're a guy in this day and age, you know, hopefully you don't want things to be weird, you know, and so I was just like, ah, oh, I don't know if I should even go to this thing, like, I don't know, what, did I have dreams about this girl, and I, we talk a little bit, but I, I don't know, this is just, I was really uncomfortable, and uh, <clears throat> so I had a big African-American friend of mine who lived with me, he was a pro boxer and a, and a power lifter, I'm the small guy of the two, you know, so when we'd go out and like go to gyms, we would we would have a lot of fun. But uh, <laughs> so he said, well, why don't you pray and ask God to answer you in a dream? And I'm like, what? Like, you can do that? And he's like, sure. I'm like, all right, God, what do I do? Do I go to this event or not? I had four dreams that night. So I went to the event, and <laughs> it led me on a five-year journey where I believed that this person was, like, my person. Like, I was supposed to be in a relationship with this person. Like, this person was the one for me. And she was a person, she was kind of sort of a celebrity in the Christian world, a Christian celebrity. And so most people would probably never meet her. And I met her like nine different times. And some of the times somebody said, go, go to the Starbucks, maybe she'll be there. And I'm like, don't say that because I'm going to go and she's going to be there and I'm going to call you and you're not going to believe me. And then I went 
and three minutes later she walked in. And then, you know, <clears throat> so there was all of this prophetic and dream swirl in my life around relationships, and I really wanted to have a relationship. And so I was like, you know, God, don't, don't mess with my heart. Like, if she ain't it, I'm cool. Like, but just let me know. You know, but I don't want to believe that she is the one and then, you know, get the rug yanked out from under me. And, you know, if you've ever been through stuff in relationships and all of that, it was just a real sensitive area. And uh, so I went on a five-year journey with this whole thing. And um, we never really, you know, we never really dated. We never really got traction on anything. We never really had a talk where I wanted to just be able to unpack with her, hey, something's happening on this end. Is there anything on my end or do you not know who I am? And if so, that's cool, but I'm done. I'm out. You know, I'm going to go do something else. And so I spent five years of my life, like in this holding pattern, believing God for something that I thought he was telling me. I didn't interpret dreams back then. So dreams were pretty much literal. And I never had a dream that I married this girl, but I did have a dream that I took her home to meet mom and dad and that we were doing ministry and life and different things and hanging out with her brothers and her family and and so it led me, I felt it led me to believe, but there was a lot of assumption and not a lot of wisdom. And so she had the audacity to marry someone else. And so I said, this dream thing is bunk. Like, this is stupid. I don't know why I ever believed in dreams. That is the most retarded thing. Who does that? Who believes in dreams? So I took all these journals, threw them in a shoebox, and threw them in the back of my closet. And I... <clears throat> You know, somebody that's starting at zero and doesn't know about dreams is one thing. I was, like, way negative. Like, don't even talk to me about that dream thing. Man, that, that thing is stupid. Like, I was emphatically opposed to the idea of dreams. And as I continued on in life, every once in a while I would meet somebody that would say, hey, do you know anything about dreams? And I'm like, what? And they'd tell me the dream, and I'd be like, I, I don't know. I just get an impression. Maybe, maybe you have to change your mindset. Oh, my gosh, that's the most profound thing anybody's ever said. And I'm just like, shut up. Go away. You know, I just literally wanted nothing to do with dreams at all. I was so over it. And people kept coming to me and wanting to share their dreams with me. And I was so annoyed. Like, go talk to somebody else. I don't want to hear about your stupid dreams. Dreams are retarded. And it was from that place of woundedness that it kept happening and it kept happening and it kept happening. <coughs> and then it started happening with a couple of friends of mine who are national level prophetic voices. And they'd be like, I would just be in a place having a cup of coffee. Man, I had the weirdest dream last night. And I'd be thinking, here we go with the dream talk again. And they'd be like, man, this is just strange. I feel like I should tell you. And I'm like, I don't know why you feel that, but whatever. And so they tell me, and again, I would just, <clears throat> I never took a dream class. I never really studied dreams. I didn't have any value for them at all. And God would just speak to me. I would just hear things. And I wasn't trying was probably the best thing to know. I had no level of striving to try to figure anything out. And after two and three and four and five national level leaders that I greatly respect the prophetic calling in their ministries started telling me, dude, you got a gift. I was like, why? I don't know why I have a gift. I've never took a class. I've never studied anything about it. I mean, you know. I finally got to the point where I thought, I respect everything they say from the pulpit. I just don't like what they're telling me about this dream stuff. Maybe I should just kind of shut up my inner dialogue and listen and kind of get over it. It's a, it's a concept I call pressing in, like do the hard thing. I didn't want to go back to dreams because dreams for me in my life meant pain. 
And so I thought, well, what if I could put the pain aside and see if there is something there? And so I started pressing in, and <clears throat> the first thing I did, which is kind of a pattern for me when I really want to learn something, especially spiritually, is I just devour the word. So I'm going to find every dream in the Bible. So I did, and I'm going to find every verse on dreams, and so I did. And so I got tired of looking up, was that Genesis 40 or Genesis 41? And so I looked them up online, and I cut and pasted all of these <laughs> chapters about dreams that had the story, the dream, the interpretation, what happened afterwards, and I put it in what we now call the ebook. It's like 27 pages long, and it's 100% scripture. There's no commentary. You can just read the stories and read the verses, and then I would just read that thing over and over and over again, and God would start speaking to me, and I'd notice patterns, and I'd notice things, and, <clears throat> and I finally got over my attitude about my own personal stuff with dreams. And I started talking a little bit about it, and so people started asking me questions. So one of the more profound dreams that I interpreted was for a lady, an executive at Facebook, and she had had a relationship with a guy, and I really understood the relational pain part. So she had had a relationship with a guy, and <clears throat> she had this dream like 10 months prior, and it was like in October. And then, <clears throat> so this was like the following August. And uh, in the dream, her... Her uh, boyfriend, almost fiancé, is like cuts his ring finger and is like squirting blood, and so everybody thinks they know what the dream means. And oh, don't marry this guy, and blah blah blah. But when she takes him to the hospital, she finally asks him, "What happened to your finger?" And he said, "Because it's cold in Serbia, they cut the keys in half." That was her answer in the dream to why he cut his finger, which made no sense. I get excited about dreams like this now because I realize, oh, it's a riddle dream. And so you get to figure out what the riddle means, and then God will give you clues, but he doesn't just flat out tell you. He'll ask you questions usually to find the answer. <clears throat> and so I had to meet with this girl and her sister like three times for coffee to figure out what this dream meant. And we did figure out what the dream meant. <clears throat> and at the very end, um, I'm like, is this guy from Serbia? Yeah, he's Serbian. Did he go back to Serbia? Yeah, actually, I had the dream in October. He went back for Thanksgiving. Did the relationship end after that? Yeah, I never heard from him again. He completely ghosted me, like we were ready to get married and everything and blah, blah, blah. And I kept saying, what is this about keys? Does he have a key to your apartment? No. And God said, they work at Facebook. Oh, do you guys have keys at work together? Uh, no. Do you work in the same department? No. Do you share a set of keys that has anything to do with work? And God's like, they work at Facebook. And I'm like, is there anything related to you and keys at work? No. God's like, they work at Facebook. You know, because if you say it slow, maybe I'll understand it better. And I'm like, oh, they work on computers, the keyboard. What's the biggest key? The biggest key is the space bar. And this was about space that they would see in their relationship and their time and their space being cut in half because of a decision that he made to turn cold once he went back to Serbia. And then it all made sense. But <clears throat> she was where I was. She said, I hate dreams. I wish I would never dream again. And at that moment, I felt like the Holy Spirit got sucker punched in the gut, just like, ugh. And <clears throat> I heard this. I heard, arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come along. I'm, I'm sitting here having coffee with this girl and with her sister. 
And the Lord speaks to me, and I just hear, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come along. For behold, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers have appeared in the land, the time of singing has come. And I'm like, what the heck does Song of Solomon 2.10 have to do with the fact that this chick doesn't ever want to dream again? I'm like, I'm lost. You're going to have to explain this to me. And God, as he does with me typically, he just carries on a conversation without really any regard to my excuses or me trying to answer or stop the flow. And so he just says, who do you say arise to? And I'm like, someone that's sleeping. And then he says this. He said, dreams are my love language, the love language of God to my children, which is probably the most profound thing I've ever heard God say about dreams. And so I immediately argued with him. (laughs) I said, well, you know, I've always heard that there were demonic dreams, pizza dreams, or soul dreams, and God dreams. And he just simply said, yeah, you should probably look that up because he knew I was a word guy. So I get into the word, and I start looking through, and So I'm looking through all these dreams that I have written down, and I'm like, I'm going to find every demonic dream in Scripture. There's no demonic dreams in Scripture. There's dreams of genocide. There's dreams of entire people groups being wiped out. There's dreams of people dying, and then they die moments later. Like, that's in Scripture. There's dreams that kings are absolutely terrified. There's even verses in Job where he says, you terrify me, and he's talking to God. I'm like, what? I'm no dream expert. This is what I'm thinking. But how come everybody else that I've ever heard even talk about dreams for five minutes? Says there's demonic dreams, God dreams, and soul dreams. So I'm like, all right, well, let's go on to the soul dreams. And so I find this verse in Ecclesiastes that says, when the mind is troubled, dreams come. And I'm like, aha, this is it. This is soul dreams. You have a rough day at work. You're thinking about work. You're going to go home and sleep, and you're going to dream about work. And God really softly just kind of chuckles. He's like, He's like, "Uh, son, when do you need for me to speak to you more than when your mind is troubled? And I'm like, oh, man, because I thought I had, like, God with a gotcha question. (coughs) And so what I became to understand is all dreams come from God. Period, mic drop, end of statement. If that's hard, I argued with God for two years while I searched scripture. And then after that, I still wasn't convinced Anytime I would have the first conversation with somebody about dreams, I say, tell me the worst nightmare you've ever had in life. And I can tell you some. And I'm going to give you one example, just because this really kind of drives it home. Is I was in Redding, California, and I have a friend that's a, a prophet, used to run with Bob Jones and John Paul and all those guys. And he's, he's up there, and he was teaching an advanced school, the prophetic, and he had you know, about 50 or 100 people in the room. And he says, come tonight, we're talking about dreams. And I just showed up to hear what he would say, and he just hands me the microphone. And I'm like, dude, come on, man, I didn't prepare nothing. He's like, oh, no, just do your thing. And so I didn't explain the story like I did to you, but I basically said, I believe all dreams come from God. And I got about that far in, and a hand goes up. Attractive lady, probably 40s, 50s, on the front row, said, I had a dream I was raped by my father. Are you telling me God gave me that dream? I'm looking at the guy like, thanks, man. You know, I'm like, that's a really good question. I have no idea. But yeah, based on what I've studied in scripture and based on interpreting nightmares, I would say that God gave you that dream. Now, this is Bethel territory in Redding, California. God is in a good mood. He loves us all the time, right? 
So to get anybody out there to even buy the idea that God would give somebody a dream that graphic and that hurtful, like, they'll stone you. There's just, there's no way that anybody is going to believe that that came from God. So the only way to proceed with continuing to talk at all was through. And so I'm like, God, you're, you're going to have to help me because I don't have a clue on this one. And he goes, ask her how she felt. And so my internal dialogue, I'm like, oh, good Lord, you know I'm still single, right? Like, that's the most insensitive thing a guy could ever say to a woman that's had a dream or had that happen. How did you feel when you're, I'm just like, oh, you have got to be kidding. I'm going to look like that guy. Like, and so I just said, you know what, I don't always hear right, and I'm still learning to hear from God, and, but, you know, if I get an impression, then I have to follow it, and I hear this question in my head, and I just want to know, how did you feel? And she goes, yeah, yeah, you know, I was really annoyed. You were annoyed that your father was raping you. She said, yeah, I was, I was really annoyed. Um, I just wish he'd hurry up and get done. And I'm like, you're like looking at your watch, like, hurry up, I have laundry? And she said, yeah, pretty much. And I'm like, what an odd response. <laughs> you know, there's no trauma. There's no, I hate this guy. There's no rage. There's no fight or flight response. <laughs> She's just like, Whatever. And then I see in my mind's eye this picture of a heart, and it's got a black spot on it. And I see the hand of God reaching towards it to heal it. And every time it gets close enough to touch it, she goes, and she shrinks away. (laughs) And I heard the heart of God, and he was saying, I really want to heal her. But every time I go to touch that spot in her heart, it feels to her like forced intimacy from the Father. And I said that to her, and she, she, she busts out sobbing. She goes, you're 100% right. I know exactly what area he's trying to heal. I won't let him close. Thank you. It changed my life. And I'm up there like, that worked? Are you kidding me? You know. <clears throat> but it was amazing, and it was a breakthrough, and it was incredible. And that was one of the most in-your-face graphic. I mean, there's dreams that have been more graphic that we've been able to push through. And what I realized is God has three ways that kind of control volume. One is repetitive dreams, otherwise known as reoccurring dreams. Two is very, very vivid dreams. And three is nightmares. We've done specials, Neil and I, we do live dream interpretation on YouTube every Tuesday for about the last year, year and a half. And we've done specials where it's nightmares only. And you don't call in unless you've had a horrific nightmare. And those are fun. Those are some of the best times because the message is super strong. And you got to get over putting God in a box, and you got to get over thinking you know what God will do, because I hear all the time, well, God would never say that, and I just laugh, because I've said that probably 200 times. Well, there's no way, and then you search it out, and God's like, well, yeah, way, that's exactly what I did, because I wanted to make a point. And for kings in the Bible, almost every king except Solomon that ever had a dream, he was absolutely terrified. Why? So he would wake up and tell all of his wise men and assemble his administration and said, I had this dream, what do we do? And that's why there's stories in the Bible, because they're memorable. But pretty much every one of them were a big pop moment. If you really suspend disbelief that dreams come from another source... If you're not there, that's cool. Again, it took me four years to get there. It'll probably not take anybody else in this room four years after getting the revelation that dreams come from God for you to actually believe it. But if it does, then, hey, you know, we're in the same club. But if you just suspend disbelief, if you don't put God in a box and you begin to write your dreams down, every detail, 
I can tell you stories that people woke up and they heard one word. And it was the most profound word in their entire identity. In fact, I'll tell you that story. <clears throat> this was something on YouTube or on, on, on Facebook. Sometimes God will have me go. And we actually have a, uh, a Facebook, a private Facebook community for dream interpreters and dreamers only. And we'd like to invite you all to that. In fact, if you sign up and put your information, we'll send you an email so you can be part of that. But <clears throat> I don't interpret every dream on there. We have a whole team of people that do. But we go through, and I was looking at somebody else's Facebook page, and I saw this one dream. And the lady said, as I was waking up, I heard, you are my diamondette. That's it. So it was really the word diamondette. And so people are putting things like, shine bright like a diamond girl, you know. I'm like, that's not an interpretation. But it was one of those ones where God just grabbed me and said, interpret this dream. And I'm like, okay. And the first thing I noticed was she spelled it wrong. She spelled it D-I-A-M-O-N-E-T. And there's the word diamond isn't in there. I would think D-I-A-M-O-N-D-N-E-T-T-E would be diamond net or something like that. Or take out the N, diamond net or... You know, and what is the diamond at anyway? Is it like the baguettes on the side of a wedding? I don't know. So <coughs> I'm just trying to figure it out, like, okay, what is... And I hear the question. I actually hear the statement, look at the name. And I'm like, what name? Like the name of the dreamer or the name of the word diamondette? And I just heard it again, look at the name. And I'm like, Dia Monet. Like Claude Monet? Like the artist? And I just felt like the pleasure of God on it. No further response. But so I looked it up. <clears throat> I actually, there's times that God will tell you to research stuff. And so I type in in Google D-I-A Monet. At the time I was living in Toledo, Ohio. And I found out that the Detroit Institute of the Arts, the D-I-A, was having a Monet exhibit that they had four months prior. And the Monet that they had was called... Um, gladiolis. It's the famous one with the lady with the blue, the blue uh, umbrella, and she's like in a red dress, and she's walking by a beautiful flower pot filled with these gladiolis, and so they named it gladiolis for the flowers in the flower pot. And it's the only Monet they had. This Monet was painted by Claude Monet in 1879, sold to the Detroit Institute of the Arts in 1929. It's only ever had one owner other than the artist, and that's them, but they only have one. And so if they want to do a Monet exhibit, they got to call all the other museums and borrow their Monets and bring them over. But they've never done this before. <laughs> and so in order to showcase their prize Monet, they didn't want to put it up against the wall. So they put it in a walk-around case where you could walk around the back and see the inscription on the back. When they did put it in this walk-around case, because most of the curators in that museum had never even seen the back of this Monet, they checked out the inscription on the back and they realized that they named the painting wrong. Since 1929, this painting had been named wrong until four months before this lady had the stream. And they realized they shouldn't have named it Gladioli, they should have named it La Fleur de something, which means the beautiful flower pot. Because that's what Claude called it, but they named it for the flowers. And somebody in 1929 named it Gladioli, and that's what it's been known at ever since. And because in the last four months, they changed the name of this Claude Monet painting that was 140 years old. And I was like, this is insane. This is where you feel like you live in the twilight zone. You're like, no way. Like, this just happened. Like, this painting's been around since 1879. <clears throat> and I'm like, well, that's great, but what does it mean to this woman? 
And God says, look at the name. And I looked at her last name, and it was like Velia or something. It was like, I think it was Filipino. And her name means veiled or hidden. And so I told her, never seen you before, don't know you. You're on Facebook, so am I. Um, You're a beautiful person, and a lot of people compliment you because of the aesthetic beauty that you have. But God wants you to know that your real identity or how he sees you is your, like the painting, a beautiful flower pot, which means you're a carrier of his glory and his presence. And that's how he sees you, and that's what you're called to be. You're not just a beautiful face. You're a carrier of the glory of God. And as you can imagine, she was absolutely wrecked. One word, diamondette, that was it. That was all we had. So when you begin to realize that these are coded messages, and you, if you can begin to trust the source, source is everything. And so I was working on a movie project. Um, I owned a finance company for 16 years, and I was part of a couple of Christian documentaries and co-produced this and that and had some fun in, in the entertainment industry. But I was working with a friend of mine. We formed a production company called War Boys LA, and we were going to take a series of books that are better than Lord of the Rings, better than Harry Potter, better than Narnia. They're written by a friend of mine, Wendy Alex. She was the founder of God TV, and it's called Chronicles of Brothers, and it's about angels and demons and the end of the world, and it's written from prophetic revelation, and it is absolutely incredible. And so we were trying to put it together, package it for an Amazon or a Netflix deal, and she said, call this friend of mine in Hollywood, and so I called this friend, Her name is Lindsay, and we're having a business conversation, but I could just kind of tell there was something different about Lindsay, and so we started talking. It was kind of like, are you a Christian? And she's like, yeah, are you a believer too? Yeah. And come to find out, she had actually been to BSSM, which is funny because I didn't know that. And she trained people in what she called the prophetic labs, where she would take people and she would have them do deep dives into hearing the voice of God through word of knowledge. And I was doing Dream Labs at the time in Orlando, Florida. (coughs) And so we got on the phone and we had a couple of conversations. And she would put together prophetic reports for like millionaires, billionaires, heads of state, people like that, where we just take, you know, we'd say male number 10. Take 10 people that really understood the word of knowledge, go to separate parts of the room, ask God about male number 10, write down what he says and come back and give it to us. And then... She brought me into like, how do we interpret this? How do we write a report based on 10 seemingly random words, but then you see three or four of them are saying the same thing, and how do we put this together in a a report? And so we started talking about the idea of when you're dealing with people at this level, it's got to be, this isn't like writing an email. It's got to have a pop and a sizzle to it, and, and God does things in presentation, as you see in dreams, and so she would have like gold emboss folders. Sometimes she would get a new... Um, <clears throat> briefcase and meet somebody under a lamp in a parking lot and pull out the briefcase and hand it to them. And it, just, it, was, it was a little bit theatrical, but it was all to emphasize the importance of how much we valued the word of God in their life. And <clears throat> so we started looking into a book called The President's Book of Secrets, which is about the formation of the president's daily brief. It's the report that the CIA puts on the president's desk every morning at 8 o'clock. 
When Truman founded the CIA in 1947, it was to centralize intelligence information in America. There's 17 different intelligence agencies that we have, and the CIA brings it all together, condenses it, finds out what's important, puts together daily, the president's daily brief, and puts it on his desk. That's the main purpose of the analyst function or the directorate of uh, analysis for the CIA. And then there's the whole operations side, which is where things sometimes get weird. But So we started saying, well, what does it look like to put a report together that rivals the president's daily brief? And so we started, we started looking into that. <coughs> and so I started doing that with dreams. When somebody would have a dream that felt like it was of weight, I started writing it out, not just sending somebody, oh, I think this or that, or just calling somebody. We started putting these cover pages on things, putting them in a certain order, um, <clears throat> and so we started uh, getting trusted with more and more different pieces of information. And then when we realized, I kind of realized that what the church sees as dream interpretation is radically different from what we do. And so we started calling it something different. We started calling it spiritual intelligence. This was before Chris Vallotton ever wrote his book. As far as I know, her and I were the first ones that called anything spiritual intelligence. I had never heard anybody use that term. But we asked each other a question one day where we said, do we really believe this stuff? Because for me, I'm either out, as you know, as you've heard, all out, or I'm completely in. And if this stuff really works, like, I mean, does it really work? I'm not talking, is it like, oh, your dream means God loves you, pray more. That's fluff. I don't want to hear it. Like, you know, I know I should pray. I don't need a dream to tell me I should pray. But if that's all I get out of dreams, I'm going to ignore my dreams. Unless you can tell me how to structure a business plan, how to heal a broken relationship, how to save my life, how to position a policy issue on the national level, how to avoid a terrorist action, how to switch things up globally in the international affairs arena. Because if this stuff works... And if it's really from God, why isn't there a full-time agency using dreams, prophecy, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, visions to keep America safe or to directly advise the President of the United States? So <clears throat> I shared this vision, I think, the first time publicly on Window to the Supernatural when I was asked to be on His Glory. I didn't really know what it was. And... Amanda Grace and Dave Scarlett, and I, I shared this vision, and we were starting a Bible study. A friend of mine had said, hey, you learned a lot through studying dreams. Let's do a Bible study online, the dreams through the Bible Bible study. And I'm like, all right, cool. I'm like, but let's do an upgrade to the Bible study. Let's do like a paid course that, because I'm a business guy, I'm not really a pastor or anything, but <clears throat> that people it's exclusive. Like, not anybody can just get it for free, and it's not broadcast publicly anywhere. That way I can share some stories of some things that I've been able to do for people that advise the president, for heads of state, for people that can speak into the life of, like, 15 heads of state in other nations, people that advise people in the UN, billionaires, um, actors and actresses, ministry leaders, and that's not the kind of stuff I'm going to share publicly on YouTube, but if we knew who was in the room and it was a closed room and everybody was under an NDA, then I could begin to tell some really cool stories because there's some really neat ones that are out there. <coughs> God showed us a lot about the 2020 election before it happened. 
that came true. Um, I could tell you stories all day. I didn't come to tell stories. But what I did come is to encourage you that dreams are super important and that they are from God. And if you know they're from God, if you get to the point where I did, where you can trust that dreams come from God, then you can trust the source. And source is absolutely everything. There's nothing more important in the world of intelligence than knowing you can trust a source. Period. Nothing. And so if you know the source is from God, the only error is in how you interpret it. That's the only possibility of error. Unless somebody doesn't tell you the whole dream. And what if people make up a dream and tell you? That's called the false dream. We've had that happen, and God tells us right away. And it's kind of funny, not for them probably, but for me, because we've had three or four people that have sent us fake dreams, and we're just like, that's not how God speaks. This is not a real dream. And they're usually self-focused and wanting promotion or something, so they're easy to spot. But (coughs) if dreams come from God, and if God is trying to communicate with you, actionable intelligence for you that directly applies to the safety of the nation or your personal life and relationships or your finances or your business or anything related to even other countries, would you want to know? Who'd want to know? (laughs) So just take it as fact. And again, if you have a hard time with it, I did for four years, but I probably wasted four years of my time arguing with God instead of pressing into what does it mean. And here's the thing. If you don't know if a dream is from God and if you have a horrific nightmare where you wake up sweating and you want to just rebuke it and tell the devil to stop bothering you, before you do, write it down, and then I'm going to show you a process of how you can interpret it and try to interpret it. If I'm wrong, if not all dreams come from God, if you have a dream that just happens to be from another source and you try to interpret, then it would probably be nothing, right? And it would have no interpretation and wouldn't be important, so it wouldn't matter. But if it is from God, no matter how it made you feel, we don't really interpret dreams based on feeling. How you feel in a dream can be an important part, but that's the soul realm. And so you don't be like, well, I felt good in this dream, so this person is my husband or wife. The drummer's really cute, so I felt good when I dreamt about him. And so God is saying he's wasted five years on that journey, people. I'm telling you, you don't want to go down that road. You know, but the same if, man, I woke up and my kids died in this dream. I was terrified. Oh, my gosh, what does that mean? Write it down. We teach a five-step process. Do you want to write this up? And the five-step process is called the Joseph method. It's not my method. It's just simply an observation of the five steps that Joseph did in Genesis 41. And we're going to actually do this today. So instead of just hearing me talk, we get to do it. And so we're like 10 or 15 minutes. I'm going to be done talking, and we're going to interpret some dreams, which will be a lot of fun. And so the Joseph method is Joseph at the height of his dream-interpreting career in Scripture. He had two dreams. When he was 17, he interpreted two dreams when he was 28 in prison. And then at 30, he gets hauled before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh has two dreams, and he interprets the dream. And the first thing he does is he starts with humility. That's number one. He says, "I, I got nothing for you, dude. I don't have the answer, but the interpretation comes from the Lord. It's interesting because both Daniel and Joseph said, and depending on what version you read, 
they basically said all interpretations come from God. Well, if all interpretations come from God, wouldn't that mean that probably the dream came from him too? Something to think about. And so he started in humility and just said, this isn't about me. I don't have the answer, but I know a guy and we can ask him and God wants you to know what's about to happen. And so the second thing he did is he identified the key symbols. Five fat cows, seven fat cows, seven skinny cows, seven fat heads of grain, seven skinny heads of grain. Was that all that was in the dream? No. He didn't talk about the Nile River. He didn't talk about the east wind. He didn't talk about coming out of, standing next to. He didn't interpret every word, but he interpreted the four key symbols. So he identified the key symbols. The third one is use the word of knowledge gift to interpret the key symbols. And a friend of mine, Sean Bowles, teaches a lot on how to use the word of knowledge gift. And we've talked about the way that I interpret dreams and interpreted some dreams for him. And um, he told me once, he goes, I feel like what you do is different. What do you do? And I'm like, I don't really know what I do, but I just kind of get still and be quiet. And he's like, and then I went to one of his trainings about hearing, learning how to hear the voice of God. And I said, that's what I do. And what he does is you shut your brain off. Don't think, don't try to figure it out. Just be quiet. Get your mind still, which was hard for me because I have a background in nuclear physics and I used to think I was the smartest guy in the room. And so it was all about, you know, intellect and all of that stuff. And that does nothing for you but get in the way with doing dream interpretation. So I had to go through a season of rest where I became as unimpressed with myself as God was, but I could hear a whole lot better. And I like being able to hear better. So that's the whole start in humility thing, (laughs) identify key symbols. So we shut our brains off. The other thing, and this is hard for some people, is you shut off the the, the prophecy part, the prophetic discernment part. And the reason is people will try to prophesy their way through a dream interpretation. And they can give you a great prophecy, but it, it doesn't explain the meaning of the dream. We have examples of people doing it. I had an older gentleman at my dream labs in Florida, and and this guy was on, dead on. He'd get anybody out of a room and tell you five things about your life, and all five of them would be true. But when we'd be talking about a dream, he'd be like, I feel like your dad is going through a hard time. His dad's on a weight bench. What does the weight bench mean? (laughs) Stick to the symbols. What does the symbols mean? And so if you're a prophet and you're really good at the prophecy part, you have to train yourself to not play to your strength and try to prophesy into that person's life or into the dream. You want to very systematically, like Joseph did, identify the key symbols. What were the seven fat cows? There's no prophecy needed for that. You just need to hear from God, what does it mean? So if you shut your brain off and you shut off the prophecy part, and this is how Sean explains it, then you just get still and you listen. And a lot of times God will ask me a question. Sometimes he'll drop something into my spirit. For Joseph, he dropped in seven years of plenty. What's interesting is there were three clusters of grapes and three loaves of bread in the baskets on the baker's head. How did he know three were three days then and seven was seven years when he talked to Pharaoh? He didn't have dream dictionaries. We don't use dream dictionaries at all. Dream dictionaries is an attempt to codify and institutionalize a secret language that is designed to be unhackable. That's another thing you got to understand about. When you get over the fact, do dreams come from God? You realize they come from God. Then you start asking questions. Well, like, why would God give me something in a dream that if I share with anybody else, they're not going to understand because the information is not for everyone? 
Just like when Jesus talked in parables and they said, why do you speak to us in parables? He said, because the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. It's hidden information by design. It's a limited distribution. This is awesome when there's prophets out there that take a dream and they put it on YouTube. And a bunch of us dream interpreters will get together and we're kind of laughing because everybody thinks the dream is literal. And we're like, that is not what the dream means at all. But they have a couple hundred thousand people that <laughs> listen to them explain it. And now they're all in fear because they think the end of the world is coming and it's an allegory. But <clears throat> you feel like you have hidden information and you do if you can understand the language of God. So the fourth thing is what we call the conclusive summary Simply because it concludes the dream, and in Genesis 41, he said, there will be seven years of famine, seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine, famine so severe that it'll wash out the years of plenty. That's the summary. That's what the dream means, period. But then he added another piece, which is what should we do? And this is where a lot of what we've seen in, in, in the regular church world and the Christian world at large Again, I know a lot of people that teach dream interpretation. Is we never answer the question, what do we do? What does this mean to us? And the first thing I want to tell you is it doesn't mean pray. There is no example of a dream in the Bible where the dream meant just pray. The dream was the answer to the prayer. The dream was what you do now that you have prayed. The dream was to Joseph, husband of Mary and father of Jesus, Get up right now, take your wife and the son, and leave and go to Egypt because Herod's trying to kill you. You don't need to pray. You don't need to ruminate on it. You don't need to go back to sleep. You need to pack your stuff and leave now. That's what dreams are. They're specific, targeted intelligence direction that provides war plans and tactics on how you maneuver throughout your daily life. And when you start to view them that way, Suddenly, you start to do away with the fluff. Again, of course God loves you. Of course God wants a relationship with you in praying. He doesn't give you dreams to tell you that. <clears throat> a general is not going to send orders to his special forces teams and say, good job, guys. We should talk more. Uh, no? <laughs> like, what hill do we take? What are the orders, general? Where do we go? Go up here, flank left, take these guys out, grab that guy, and let's bolt. Very specific. <laughs> and so the fifth step is actionable intelligence. <clears throat> Humility is really easy. Because God can just show you. He, he showed me like, like, dude, no matter what you think you know, you don't know anything in this language. You just be quiet and I'll ask you a question or I'll give you the answer. That was hard for me, but now it's easy because there's zero pressure to try to interpret anybody's dream. Sometimes people, I share a dream and people, they get a little anxious because, I don't know, this is a tough one. It has nothing to do with you. Zero to do with your ability to figure it out, which takes the pressure off, which makes it really kind of fun. But identifying the key symbol, that's really kind of common sense, but kind of a word of knowledge. The word of knowledge part on the symbols themselves, that's totally a word of knowledge. Cars do not always mean ministry. Almost everybody that teaches dreams says cars mean ministry. Almost everybody that teaches dreams is in ministry. So cars for them might mean ministry. But I was never in ministry. I was a business guy. So if I had a dream about a car and people are like, oh, it's God talking about your ministry. It's like, I'm not a ministry guy. 
It can mean something like a vehicle to destiny, but it can mean any number of things. It always depends on context. People ask me all the time, what does this mean? It always depends on context. By the way, just so you know, that answer never changes. So if you hop in our Facebook group, don't ask, well, what does a box mean? It always depends on context, always. Because we read the whole dream, and then we say, okay, God, here's a key symbol. What does this mean? And then he'll drop it into our spirit. And they widely vary. You'd be surprised. Um, <clears throat> again, three meaning three days for the baker and the cupbearer, seven meaning seven years for Pharaoh. That's a huge difference. <clears throat> so, and then the conclusive summary, here's where you switch to what we call a word of wisdom for conclusive summary in Acts and which means that God is going to tell you some things that you may not know inherently, but there's also things that you're going to know inherently. Joseph interacted with six dreams in the Bible. Five out of the six dreams had to do with farming and ranching and agriculture. What did Joseph grow up doing? Farming, ranching, and agriculture. So he had experience in this. That's where wisdom comes in. It comes from experience. So there's things that you're going to know. It's funny because seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. What do I do? Well, now let Pharaoh appoint a man as viceroy of Egypt, put eight commissioners underneath him, and store 20% on the walls of the city. Find out where that's in the dream. None of that is in the dream. None of those numbers, 1, 8, or 20, are in the dream at all. So where did that come from? Well, it came from a combination of God starting to download a plan to Joseph and Joseph saying, well, I know from working with 11 brothers, if you don't put one clear guy in charge, you got a mess. Because they kind of threw me down a well because of something similar. You know, so part of that was experience. And so this is how we do it. I don't care how emotional your dream was, do this. It doesn't matter how long your dream is, do this. It doesn't matter if your dream is one word, I would suggest do this. And again, this is the best and the clearest example in all of Scripture of how to interpret dreams. We simply call it the Joseph method. So the way that we do that in a public setting, and we'll do here today, is we ask for the shortest dreams possible. I did a dream lab up in Flint, Michigan. We had one dream, and we spent five and a half hours on one dream and never got to a second one. (laughs) Because the level of depth when you start to drill down and the things that God wants to reveal to you will be mind-blowing. We talked about changing a lady's entire destiny in life, her self-image, and her identity in a one-word dream. Can you imagine what a whole sentence could do? mind-blowing. So sometimes it's really clear and it's just a simple thing like God's trying to heal you, you need to let him, which was actionable intelligence. The lady didn't need to pray about it, didn't need to figure it out, didn't need to think, does that really, she, she burst open and was crying right in the front row because it resonated. <laughs> and so what we do and we're going to do, we're going to ask for probably four or five dreams. We want really short dreams. Long dreams have an immense amount of value. We just don't have the time. And so one-sentence dreams or a really, don't say, oh, I got a short dream and then read me a page because if there's 20 symbols, it's going to take three hours. (coughs) And then what we're going to do is we're going to pick one of the short dreams and then we're going to, Katie's going to write the symbols as we hear them repeat the dream again. And then we're going to ask for all of your input. And what you're all going to do is you're going to shut your brain off Shut off your prophetic discernment, and you're going to let God drop something into your spirit, and you're just going to yell it out. 
not going to raise hands. It feels like brainstorming, but it's not. This is not word association. This is being quiet and letting God tell you something. After you do it enough, as anybody will tell you that's been doing word of knowledge for a long time, it's, it's like you almost begin to think that way. Like, I've been watching documentary films where I'll just, you're like, no, that's not true. And I'm like, that sounded a lot like God when I interpret dreams. And then I'll go research it out and find out, no, what they had in that History Channel documentary was, in fact, not true. But this is true. And so this can happen in daily life, and you can begin to hear God. If you can hear God in the word of knowledge really good and combine it with the word of wisdom, there's nothing that you can't receive from heaven. Nothing. Literally, all of the knowledge and all of the wisdom and all of the storehouses of heaven, from the scrolls of your life to intellectual property to lotto numbers to stock tickers, to family plans, to names, to things about history, to things about the future are all accessible to you if you can understand the language of God. This is how important this is. What's also interesting is I had a friend of mine that put a database of about 50,000 dreams together and had a data scientist working with her on it. And MIT and the NSA came to her and said, we want to study your 50,000 database of dreams. And so she's like, all right. So I think there were like 13 doctorate degree data scientists from MIT and the NSA studied 50,000 dreams for two weeks. You know what they found? Absolutely nothing. They couldn't read it. And they couldn't say, well, a car always means ministry. And so you can begin to put a code together. It doesn't work that way. It's a figurative language. I can show it to somebody that speaks Chinese, and if they can hear the voice of God, they can have the same understanding whether I speak English and I can't communicate with them at all. What's really cool is when you're in a dream lab and you see multi-generational, where there was, <coughs> I was looking at one dream, and it was about a princess that had to like get to a wedding. And I was like, oh, like in Princess Bride. And all the millennials were like, What? And then somebody said, oh, you mean like Fiona and Shrek? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I, that works too. Same thing. But they didn't know the Princess Bride <laughs> like we did. Same thing, a guy wearing all black with sunglasses and a black tie. Some people will say, oh, it's the Matrix. It's the agents in Matrix. And some people will say, oh, it's the men in black. Well, either one, right? <laughs> so, by the way, God Speaks movie. Blues Brothers, that, that works too, yeah. God Speaks Movie. We watch a lot of movies, and God Speaks Movies. One thing I did want to add since Neil's here, Neil and I were watching a movie called Tenet, which God gave us a dream, gave a friend of mine a dream that had to do with time travel. It had to do with a 2,000-year-old code that was first written in the, in the ruins of Pompeii in stone in 79 A.D., that everybody thought to be unsolvable. It had to do with a dream that Einstein had as a child that made him develop the theory of relativity. And it had to do with a movie that just came out. And all of these melded together into this dream where we solved the 2,000-year-old riddle looking at the dreams of Einstein, looking at this movie. And it was all about prayer outside of time. It's a really interesting concept. I wish I could unpack it for you today. But we were having a conversation because we've had multiple words of knowledge and um, <laughs> words and dreams about having our stuff encrypted, having our stuff secure, 
you're being watched. People are trying to get into your courses. People are, we've had people from North Korea, China, Russia. We've had people probably, we believe, from the Mossad. We've had witches, warlocks that we've discovered and we've kicked out. But we've gotten words in advance about all of these people. Hey, look for the witches that are trying to form a coven inside your group. And, you know, you're like, what? Come on, that can't be literal. And then you have to have some really awkward conversations with some people. But uh, makes it fun. <laughs> but um, we asked the question, and Neil heard the answer, where is the safest place to store information? In your head and your heart. Okay, that's, that's good. Anybody else got a thought on that? Encode, encrypted. In plain sight, okay. I would agree with all of those, but the answer that we heard, the safest place to store information where nobody else has access to it is in the past. So remember I told you to write all your dreams down? And you don't have to interpret them all, but you need to understand that flow of communication from heaven. Because I've had people at 50 years old say, my mom had a dream about me when I was five. And she said, I really wish I would have known you back then because you could have interpreted this dream because it was about men chasing me and I've had bad string of relationships and divorces and all of that stuff. And I feel like if I could have understood this dream, I could have avoided all of this heartache I've had the last 45 years. And I said to her, has it occurred to you that nothing occurs to God? God didn't give your mom a dream and then say, oh, shoot, I forgot to provide an interpreter. God didn't do that. Perhaps God gave you this dream for you right now. And so she came on live dreams, and Neil interpreted her dream. And it absolutely redeemed the last 45 years of her life and her self-image and her identity because it wasn't about that at all. And she carried a lot of shame and guilt from what she believed her mom's dream meant because of, in light of the relational mistakes that she had made, and that's not what God was saying at all. And so sometimes God will give you a do not open until Christmas letter. He'll give you something a long time ago that you then open it up later, and then you realize God was speaking to me for this time and for right now. That's one of the reasons why you write all your dreams down, because he can be storing it for me. He can be tell you the answer to a question you're going to have 20 years from now today and when you get there 20 years from now and you interpret it 20 years from now because he brought it up and then it fits the situation, you're going to be in awe of the faithfulness of God of how he told you 20 years prior. And that cements the history that you have with God.